Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. Well, hello, it's good to be with you once again, and it's obviously been a while since I recorded a podcast, but I feel like I kind of had a good excuse because for the last uh, two weeks I was in Israel, and before that I was doing some final preparations for that, so you know, you got to kind of give me a little break on that. But just got back a couple days ago from Israel, excited to tell you a little bit about that on this episode, along with some of the benefits I think that can be gleaned from that. But I just also want to take just a brief second and say why I was in Israel. One of the benefits of working at Shepherd's Theological Seminary is that the school believes in getting the students to Israel. In fact, the school has what's known as the Israel Initiative. And what that is is a program that is backed by donors to the school. And essentially the school pays for all of its students to go to Israel. And I think that is such an amazing opportunity. Um, so this, this just within these last couple of weeks, we had about, uh, I think we had a, we had a really big trip. It was about 54 people, I think, 54. Not all of those were students because there were a few friends of donors who came along and some people who paid their own way and whatever. But, but it was just a great opportunity to, to spend time with some of the students there. And Dr. Bookman has been heading that up along with Clayton Schultz, who is the head of the Wyoming Extension site there in Laramie. And I accompanied them this year, uh, trying to help them out. And it was just a great opportunity. Loved it. Uh, just, I think that is so important, uh, to be able to, to be able to visit Israel. And of course, uh, being a school that really emphasizes uh, not just interpretation of the passages, but also attention to context, both uh, historical as well as geographical. There's just no replacing uh, seeing Israel as you read some of these passages. So I just really applaud the work that especially Dr. Bookman has put put forward in getting this program running and, and, you know, the Lord's just doing great things. And I was very excited to be a part of that. Now on our trip, we visited a lot of the famous sites that you would want to see that you would hope to see. We visited Jericho, Shechem, Beit Shan, Dan, you know, and you name it, we saw it, except we didn't really swing down too much to the South. And of course we centered a lot of our time, especially the last about four days or so, in Jerusalem, which by far and away, my favorite city in the world, Jerusalem, there's just no place like it. It's it's incredible to stand at a focal point, which is, is just a tie-in between so much in the past and so much in the future. And it's just incredible. I think, I still think it's one of my favorite uh, experiences to just sit on an overlook in Jerusalem and look at the Mount of Olives and just think about Zechariah 14, about the Lord coming back, touching down on the Mount of Olives. It's just such a special, such a special opportunity and just really excited to have that opportunity to be able to help uh, with some of the teaching there and just see Dr. Bookman really uh, teach students out of his vast experience. Now he's been to Israel uh, well over 50 times, I believe. And so it just really showed in his 
knowledge of all the sites and and how scripture just really inter- interplays with that and maybe sometime in the future I'd like to get him on the podcast and just talk about uh his experience with Israel and and some of the passages that really come alive with that or something like that that would be a huge blessing I think to the listeners but while it's on my mind uh and having recently been to Israel I wanted to kind of probe that feeling just a little bit showing how understanding the geography of Israel and how things play in uh, play uh, play into place is repetitious. Uh, I guess I would say how those tie into the biblical story help us understand uh, what's going on. So in order to do that, I just want to think through Joshua 9 and 10 a little bit with you. And basically the story that's found there is the Gibeonite deception. And you might be a little familiar with this. Uh, it comes on the heels after after Joshua and the children of Israel at the beginning of their conquest, they take Jericho, they take the city of Ai, sometimes we call it Ai, but um, Ai is how I pronounce it, so you could say it either way, I guess. Uh, and after taking those two cities, uh, which by the way, I on this last Israel trip, I was standing um, at those locations and it was, it was, again, a really, really great reminder that one of the one of the blessings of believing in scripture is that scripture uh, relies on a historical record and theology is built on things that actually happen and that's something that sets apart the bible definitely so as we as we look at Joshua 9 then one of the interesting things about it is after Israel has this initial success the Gibeonites see what's happening and they say, hey, you know what? This is not looking good for us. Let's go and make a treaty. So what they do is they go to Israel in chapter 9 of Joshua and they take some old provisions um, and they travel to to uh, Israel who's camped at Gilgal, which is probably just outside of Jericho. We're not exactly sure where it is, but it's somewhere there uh, kind of by the Jordan River area on the flatlands there. And they come and say, hey, you know, in verse 12, here's our bread. It's still warm. It was warm when we took it. And now it's so old. It's crumbly. We've traveled such a great long way. It was such a long journey. And so the the condemnation of the narrator in verse 14 is, so the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. So in verse 15, Joshua made peace with them. That is the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Now, it's interesting because as a group, we were thinking of this passage uh, at an overlook at the central Benjamin Plateau um, from from Gibeah, not Gibeon, but we could see Gibeon, and we could also see kind of the road that would lead to Gilgal. And it's it's not too far. I mean, I'll explain more about this in a second, but it's about 18 to 20 miles, somewhere around there. And so it's it's within visible range, except there are some hills blocking it because there's a lot of hills in that area. And I'll explain more about that in a second. But here the Gibeonites are just claiming that they've been on a long journey when really they're not that far away. They're a hop, skip, and jump away. Now, it's not an easy trek by any stretch of the imagination, but that is... They're obviously lying. They just want uh, Israel to spare them. And Israel does not ask any advice from the Lord or counsel of the Lord, but they just make peace with them and they let them live. Now, after three days, after having made that covenant, they actually hear that, oh, hey, the Gibeonites are actually our neighbors just down the road. 
And so the Israelites get upset with the congregation, but they couldn't do anything. And this is important because in verse 18, the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, by Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, and that's, that's important. And that I'll explain more about that in a second as well, but, but just at its core, uh, invoking the name of Yahweh is basically putting him on the line for what's going on. And so it's not just, Oh, Hey, we made a mistake. Now we can do something else. No, we have, we have promised you in the name of the one true God that we're not going to harm you. And that, that's pretty much a slam dunk deal. There's no no way around it at that point. So obviously uh, the Gibeonites kind of get their way a little bit and Israel was not so smart. And so the Gibeonites go back. Everything's going well. Now in chapter 10, we run across an interesting development because we read that Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, which it was not in Israel's hands at this point. This was still part of the Canaanite city, heard how Joshua had... Uh, conquered I and conquered Jericho. And so he takes a coalition of kings and goes up against the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel. And as he, as he goes against them, the Gibeonites send to Joshua and says, uh, let's see, do not relax your hand in verse six of chapter 10. Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Now, at this point, I like to stop in the story and think about this just from a textual perspective alone as we're reading the story. If the Gibeonites deceived me in such a way as they deceived Israel, I would be very disinclined to help them, as it were. In fact, I'd be like, well, okay, good, at least... Now we're not going to be stuck with this stupid deal we made with you and you can be destroyed by your own kind and everything will be fine. I mean, that would be my uh, first choice, as it were. However, uh, remember what I said. They had promised in the name of Yahweh, their God, to protect them, to, to not assault them. And so it's not just convenience at this point. It's actually the name of the Lord is at stake. And and the next verse is is so powerful in my mind, and yet so missed when when we don't understand what's going on. Verse 7, So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And that's immediate. There's there's no like, okay, we're going to wait a couple days, see what happens, and go. No. But the Lord said to Joshua in verse 8, Do not fear, I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And so it says in verse 9, Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Now, what's so interesting about those phrases is that if you don't understand the geography, you don't really understand the sacrifice involved there. Uh, it's I remember when I was first thinking about this, it really kind of comes out at you from a perspective of like, oh, this is only something the Navy SEALs would do, or the elite special forces. This is the stuff that's made of legends. Because in reality... It's about 18 to 20 miles, right? And the elevation, uh, and this is really hard to describe, but I'm going to do the best I can. Um, it's just so visual when you, when you look at it. But the thing to understand is that you're going from, uh, below sea level, uh, to about 
30, I think it's like 3,300 feet above sea level, you have about a 3,500 foot elevation climb up and down hills over. It's a, it's a terrible journey. And you're doing this all at night. I mean, you kind of hope there was a full moon at least, but you know, what are the odds it's a full moon, right? So it's a, it's a treacherous journey. There is a lot of, uh, a lot of pain, toil, sweat involved in this, in this. And it's all to save these deceptive Gibeonites. You know, it's, it's not, you need, it'd just be as easy to let them die. But, but the interest, but the important thing is that they are willing to make this sacrifice, this all night march through this tremendous elevation, through this, this difficult route. You know, you have at one point in the route, in fact, uh, as you go through the pass, uh, it's called the, well, it's just called the pass, but it's by Mikmash and Geba on the east, eastern side, almost halfway between Gilgal and Gibeon. There's, you know, some cliffs that you have to bypass, go through the, go through the pass that way. And, and it's not, it's not an easy journey, especially at night, like I said. So it's, it's really a poignant reminder of the fact that the name of the Lord, his, honor was at stake and the people marched all night uh, and really put themselves in a position to have immediate obedience to God. So what happens after that? Uh, what you have then is the Lord throwing the people into panic. Obviously, you're not expecting Israel to make an all-night march to save Gibeon. So they come, are very successful, and not only uh, not only are they successful from a military perspective and they begin chasing the coalition uh, to the northwest up the up the road to Beit Horon, but God also, it says in in uh, Joshua 10, as they were as they were um, fleeing in verse 11, as they fled before Israel, they were going down the ascent of Beit Horon. The Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. So uh, not only did you just experience a surprise attack from Israel, but as you're retreating, you kind of have this problem of divine hail storming your army as you're fleeing. And so God is giving Israel a tremendous victory here because of the obedience that they've had. And this uh, route, which they're following, uh, incidentally, is their retreat route is another 20 plus miles of travel. So not only did they march 18 miles to get there, but now not sleeping, not resting, they're going on another 20 mile pursuit of this coalition, which they engaged at Gibeon. So not exact. I mean, I, I kind of wanted uh, imagine what it would be like being in Joshua's army. You're just, you know, there. You know, I'm sure they didn't play cards because Christians don't play cards. Just kidding. But they, uh, you know, doing whatever they do, you know, uh, playing, you know, shoot the bow and arrow with the apple off the head or something like that. Who knows? And then all of a sudden somebody comes in and says, oh, by the way, we need to march to Gibeon tonight. You know, we weren't planning on that, but let's just do it. You march there 18 miles. And then as the people are fleeing, you pursue them another 20 plus miles. I mean, you're putting on, you know, close to 40 miles without any sleep, nothing like that. That's a that's a lot of walking, a lot of running. And yet it is, it is by God's design that they would, that they would be launched into this campaign. And seeing how the geography plays out with that, uh, is really kind of insightful, I think, as, as how that works. Now, as we think about the broader implications of the story, it's also interesting 
I would just make a little note here about how obviously Israel failed in making the treaty with Gibeon. They did not ask the Lord's advice or anything like that. They really failed when it came down to that. But so often the Lord does this. The Lord uses their mistake in their treaty with Gibeon to uh, to launch a campaign, if you could say it that way. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think Joshua is planning on launching this campaign, but what, what ends up happening is because of what's happening with Gibeon, then Joshua and Israel pursue them, and as they're pursuing them down south, then as you follow Joshua 10, it's clear that Joshua just starts going from city to city and wiping out uh, the remnants of this army. And so essentially it could be within a matter of weeks that Joshua ends up attaining victory in all of Southern Canaan. Now for not planning on doing that, this is pretty remarkable because God gathers a massive coalition at Gibeon and uses that as kind of the driving force to start, to kickstart this Southern campaign. And so at the end of it, you can kind of imagine Joshua and his soldiers just lying around being like, wow, we sure didn't anticipate doing that. But, you know, here we are a couple weeks later and now we have, you know, the whole South beaten in Canaan and now we're ready to move North, you know, like who would have thought it. Right. And so as uh, Dr. Bookman likes to say, you know, uh, God helped Joshua do better than he knew. And uh, I think that's a very apt statement in what's going on here. And so Joshua uh, Joshua displays not really military genius per se on this, because I, this is really all, I think, of God's design. And obviously Joshua follows through with it and is obedient, but it's uh, but it really is a, a kind of a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a un- foreseen, if you, if you think of it that way, unforeseen, a turn of events that really, uh, helps Israel out in the long run. So anyway, I just wanted to share with you some of that story and I'm hoping that that, uh, kind of gives you a little more insight into what's going on with the Gibeonites there and how God uses that story to help, to help his people take, uh, the promised land as he, as he commanded them to do. And, uh, even in how understanding the geography also helps a little bit understand what's at stake, what's going on, and uh, even the cost and the, the obedience that's going on right there. And I hope that's helpful. So thank you for listening. Email me if you have any comments or questions. My email is peter at petergaming.com. For more information on the podcast or about me, visit petergaming.com. For more information on Shepherd Seminary, visit shepherds.edu. Until next time, farewell.